it's Monday and I am back. It is officially、um, the fourth episode of this podcast. So, welcome back to Peach Neon Pink Ramblings Podcast Episode 4. Yeah, we're here, we're doing this.、Um, it's been a week since my last podcast episode. And if you haven't listened to that podcast episode, episode 3, it's available on all and everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, so, that one I recorded right after、uh, my vacation. So,、um, yeah, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. It's from last week.、Um, anyway, welcome to the fourth episode. I am gonna talk about a Korean drama that I recently binge watched on my days off. So, it was like two days, and I just like sped through like 20 episodes of this thing. Um, so, we're gonna talk about that. I'm gonna update on a couple、uh, on a Korean drama that I'm still watching at the moment,、um, and also a bit about、um, other dramas that I'm looking forward to.、Um, on the K pop section, we're gonna talk about a couple of songs that I've been enjoying lately.、Um, look forward to it. I'm gonna talk about Monster X, I'm gonna talk about Chung Ha. So, we're gonna, we're gonna touch about like, those two songs that I love from them. Um, in the K Beauty section, I'm going to be talking about、um, two foundations that I've been in, like, using lately on my face and what's been effective, if it's good, whatever. So stay tuned for that. This is the K drama section of the podcast. As you guys know, I always talk about my K dramas first thing and foremost on these podcasts. I'm going to talk about a Korean drama called White Lights or White Nights, actually. I don't know why I wrote White Lights on here. Anyway,、um, it's starring Leo Won, Ui,、uh, Jin Gu. I'm going to read you guys a description from Wikipedia. Um, a story of three individuals propelled by their undying greed as they clamor for wealth and power in order to reign supreme at the top of the food chain. Seo Yi Kyung, who is played by Lee Yo Won, is a crystal cold of a woman who is willing to do anything for her ambitions and she doesn't believe that greed, greed is a sin. Park Gun Woo. Um, played by Jingu, is a warm hearted, free spirited man of integrity and heir of a big company who got betrayed by his first love, who is Yi Kyung,、uh, 12 years ago. Lee Se Jin, played by Yui, is a hired persona and comes from a poor family. She lost her parents when she was young and desperately wants to escape from her situation. So,、um, it was a little like bit of a description of the plot line. Um, oh, now I see why I said white lights. It's not white lights.、Um, white Nights, the actual、um, title it's known more about is Nightlight, which is kind of a weird title for a Korean drama.
um, also known as Illumination or its Korean title, Bolyasyong. Bolyasyong? I think that's how you pronounce it. Anyways, it was originally aired on NBC way back in November 2016. Uh, It was acquired and currently available on Netflix. So um, I'm just going to refer to it as White Nights from now on because I think that's the least cringy (laughs) title. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of Korean dramas that have like very cringy um, English titles. Which, by this point, after years and years of watching Korean dramas, I really don't mind. But calling it nightlife is just kind of, like, weird. So, um, I get why Netflix just took the the initiative to rename it to something more, like, kind of cool-sounding. So, I'm going to call it White Nights. Or I might make a mistake, like, first part of what I just said, that called it like white light <laughs> uh, but white nights um so this is one of those korean dramas that you just kind of like accidentally discover on netflix which is what happened to me um when you're looking for um it's under like the category of suggestions that's like strong female lead uh, which is true actually uh Lee Kyung's, uh played by lee yoon um is a very very strong female lead like she is kind of like devil wears prada um kind of like alpha female character and she even right in the beginning you know okay this girl is gonna be the lead because you see her character just the first scene you're like dang this this lady has like balls like she's just like all shots firing forward and she's like very brash yet very um i wouldn't say straightforward but just like a very strong character it is one of the very few i would say korean dramas that i've watched that um really passed the bechdel test which is if you're not familiar it's it's kind of like this um standard they have in um film and tv where um there's enough female interaction um that they talk about like not about their relationships or or men or anything and it's just like relationships between women which for a korean drama set um in like like 2000s it's it's pretty it's pretty good it did pretty well um what was I going to talk about? Oh, first of all, uh, I'm going to talk about the the cast. Lee Yo-won, um, she's best known for playing the the titular, titular, titular? Is that how you pronounce that? Anyway, she plays uh, the main lead in Queen Seon-dok, uh, which is a, a historical drama about another strong female, um, like a very important queen in korean history um she does very well in looking like um that type of woman that's just vicious full of ambition business driven she's like ready to break like the ceiling or is it it a glass ceiling i'm not sure if you call it glass ceiling is it anyway i'm asking a lot of questions in this podcast not that i haven't um really 
gone through and thought about like what I was going to say, but there's just a lot of questions popping in my mind at the moment. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, she definitely is out there to break the ceiling. Um, I'm going to talk about that again, maybe a little bit later about that ceiling. Um, anyway, um, one thing I noticed though, while I was watching this Korean drama, since I was binge watching it, so you're, um, I feel like whenever you're binge watching a Korean drama, you just have all the information just getting repeatedly like hit you like through the screen because you're watching like episode after episode and after episode when you know ideally when they're still airing you know they're building like cliffhangers and you're not you know you're waiting like a week before you're gonna find out what's gonna happen so because i am uh watching this um like just i pretty much binge watch it so um i was kind of like it's a bit heavy when you're watching it anyway <laughs> the reason why i mentioned that is because um leo one i haven't really watched her in a lot of korean dramas i feel like the last time i've seen her in a korean drama was way back in the 2000s i think it was like 2006 2007 when she was in surgeon bong dalhi which i vaguely remember the plot because uh, one it was such a long time ago and i kind of remember it wasn't a very memorable plot it was like a medical drama but it wasn't like extremely memorable i remember kind of like watching it while i was in college and i mean i i think i also binge watched that drama but it was okay but it's not a memorable plot and even the characters weren't very very memorable anyways i think that was the last time i actually saw her in a korean drama I remember a few years back, um, she was in this drama called Fashion 70s, which I did not watch. It was just not my cup of tea. Um, but yeah, so I, I feel like I don't know as much as I need to know about Lee Won as an actress. But in this Korean drama in particular, in White Nights, she has this weird, just awkward way of walking during the scene. Um, so... With this Korean drama, there's a lot of scenes where um, the secondary characters go see her in an office or she meets with, like, some powerful politician or business person. And she's supposed to look, like, domineering. I'm, like, the queen bee. I'm, you know, a very strong, um, connected, like businesswoman who's out to rule the world um and she she does it okay with her face but she has this just odd way of walking like usually on the scene you'll see her um dressed like very nice like very business like not necessarily all the time in a pantsuit but her fashion's like it's pretty good it's like very corporate you're you're just like oh yeah this is a businesswoman it's like a serious businesswoman but um and she always usually has like a purse like a large purse you kind of know in Korean dramas when they're um their characterizations based on their purse this is a theory I have about Korean dramas um since I'm a long time avid viewers of Korean dramas since like two thousand five two thousand six um usually they give like the cutesy 
not cutesy, but younger characters that are not supposed to be like all powerful and bitchy. They give them like small kind of petite purses. But when it's like serious businesswoman or uh, I'm a powerful woman in this drama, I'm going to have like a huge ass purse that can fit files. So <laughs> that's pretty much what she mostly carries. Um, I don't know why I noticed this, but I do. Um, like I said, I have a lot of weird like theories about like cliches in Korean dramas. One of them is purses. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Not going to copyright that, but it is one of those weird random things that I, I notice in Korean dramas. Um, so she looks fine. She carries her purse. She sits down on the office like couch that always seems like it's not comfy, but I guess it is comfy. <laughs> and then whoever she's confronting, like the chairman or the CEO or the sajangnim, um, the president guy, I meant, um, is always seated like in the top like seat, and then she's uh, she's usually like if she's not like um the top person in that scene or something, she's usually an off to the side. But the way she kind of portrays being um domineering is very odd and it shows on her um like i said her facial expressions are fine but it shows very awkwardly on the way she walks because she kind of has this weird stomp bouncy kind of walk i don't know if it, this is a deliberate um choice by um leo one like i said um she's not one of those korean actresses that i'm very familiar with um but she, I don't know if it's it's a choice she did in, in portraying this character. I don't know if she, you know, made a choice with her acting and be like, I'm, I'm going to like walk out of here and stomp with my, my purse all like, you know, bouncy and stuff. It's, it's really weird. I don't, I don't know. Um, so <laughs> the main thing about it is that um, maybe it's just me who noticed it, but because she stomps, um... And her like gait is a little bit weird while she's like either entering or exiting a scene. Like it's supposed to be like a very tense showdown scene between her and whoever the the, the old like Ajushi character that uh, was corrupt and powerful that she's supposed to confront and like fight against or something verbally or like politically or manipulate into doing something. Um but she she walks in and you first see her she's like stomping in into the room and she sits down and puts her purse down they they start the scene and stuff so um for me it kind of takes me out of the scene because i notice this weird thing about purses and also her walk um pretty much like it makes her look like a petulant child like she's a toddler having a tantrum, which is not the the image I I kind of want to have in my brain. While I'm supposed to be empathizing with this this woman who is trying to reach the top, the top echelons of like the business and political world in South Korea. So, and she just looks very weird doing it. I've said weird like four or five times, but it is very weird, um, awkwardly because she stomps and it looks. Like, she's just throwing a tantrum, like, being like, I'm going to do everything I can to make everything go my way. And I'm going to be very, like, just, like, 
petty about it. Um, which is kind of just, it contrasts very weirdly against her dialogue and the actions that the character does. Because actually, when you think about it, um, a lot of um, Yi Kyung, Kyung's decision is very, very smart. She's very calculating, very manipulative. She really, like, does all the mental calculations in her head to just move pieces in the chessboard, uh, whether it's like a, a, a tech giant, a politician, um, a former president, whoever, to move even her subordinates. Um, it Her actions are like, I know what, what move I'm bo- putting. I know which pawns I'm putting on each part of my moves in the chess, you know, this chess game that I am doing. Um, so she's she's very, very calculating. And then the way she reacts to like attacks on her, like when other influential people are pretty much doing something to attack her game plan. She's, I mean, you can tell that it's she's very calculating, like I said. So it, it's just weird seeing the character be so smart but appear so petulant and petty just the way she walks like i said i don't know if it is like an actual acting choice but it really took away from i i kept pausing while i was watching this going like oh that's so weird like i don't get why she's stomping off like you know even in the scenes that she drops a bombshell on a character and just like oh, I pretty much like drained your accounts or I'm going to expose to the media that you did so-and-so and it's going to ruin your image. And she stomps off and it's weird because like, like, you would think that it's like, oh, I'll be doing like a victorious kind of like very confident walk out of the scene, but she doesn't. So it was very distracting for me. Um, even though I was rooting for the character um, to succeed, um, that kind of took away from it. Also, um, the conceit of this drama is that you're supposed to pretty much root for Yi Kyung to succeed. Like you see, um, the when she was a child, she was pretty much groomed by her father to be greedy. And to um, there's a whole scene when he throws a whole bunch of coins and tells her to pick up each coin because each uh, coin is a god. Um, that money needs to be worshipped. So even from a young age, she looks like she was like, I don't know, five in that scene. Um, that, you know, like she was, she's was, she been groomed since childhood to be this money-hungry person. Um, but even then, because her whole backstory is, is sad, um, you kind of like, Go, you kind of the conceit like i said is for you to root for her um with that i'm actually going to mention uh jingu who i know from um he was sung jun ki's character's best friend in descendants of the sun these dramas actually showed i mean aired i believe in the same year in 2016 but i feel like descendants of the sun was like a summer drama while white nights was a little bit of a fall winter drama so uh jingu was coming out of a very successful run as like the second male lead uh he was getting very well known and my opinion on him he's actually i feel like he's a very good actor like he does 
a lot of the good kind of like muted roles, uh, which is, you know, which is good for an actor. Like if you can do that. Um, and he was kind of like that character in Descendants of the Sun. Like his his acting was 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 good. It was very balanced. Um, he kind of functions as the love interest here, if you can ke- really call him the love interest. So the backstory is that twelve years ago, um, he met um Yi Kyung, so his character Gunwoo character. <laughs> character Gunwoo um meets Yi Kyung um in Japan and um he Jingu's character Gunwoo is like a chebol heir so he's the son of this huge um cor- the the owner of this huge corporation he's but he has run away um uh, pretty much kind of like a backpacker dude uh because of his dreams of being a musician so he ran away from his like rich lavish life rejecting that life and went to amongst his travels went to japan where he comes upon yikyung who was already working as i don't it was very confusing actually i think she's supposed to be like a loan shark um working under her dad because they kind of call her as like a fine loan financial officer but everything's so shady in the operation of how her dad has established this like um business in japan so i think she's supposed to be a loan shark she's you know he they meet when they're both young she's really already tough uh doesn't give a shit about things and um jingyu at that time is very um, free spirited, optimistic about life. He is has rejected uh, all of the trappings that he's supposed to have as a chebol heir. Um, so the f- the flashback parts of their relationship is actually it's cute. Um, you don't really see much much chemistry between uh Jingu and Li Yuan, so that's why I think it's the drama suffers from it when it moves back to the present day scenes because um the whole idea of it was that to show that flashback was to show that they were very much in love but it was the circumstances between this long 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 feud between their fathers um affected their relationship so um because on the scenes in the flashback they were cute but they didn't have much chemistry and it was only like really like a few scenes that you don't you as a viewer personally i i didn't feel like i was given enough time to pretty much engage myself and be invested in their relationship so when it goes back to the present day and jingu's character is supposed to um gun is supposed to be like the idealistic you know, rule following character that's to re- remind Yi Kyung's character that she's still human. There's there's a repeated line in the Korean drama that Yi Kyung says that um you know a, a mere human can't um defeat a monster. Because way back in the flashbacks she said that, you know, I'm I'm gonna choose to be a monster. I'm gonna choose to be the villain of the story. Um, just so you you don't have to uh, when they separated. So um, she chose to, because of the, the, the feud between their fathers, pretty much she chose to push 
uh, Gun Woo out because of her concern that um, they're both going to get sucked into this feud. So she chose to rise up as um, like the villain pretty much and as the heir of her dad's like Japanese loan shark business or whatever almost very mafia-ish um to reach to the top um and pretty much i thought while i was midway watching i was like oh her motivations are revenge against the people who wronged her father but she has such an estranged relationship with her father anyways and she she chooses to be under him and to rise up the ranks Seemingly because she wanted to save Gunwoo. So while you're watching the, the drama, you're, the whole idea you have, at least for me, was that, oh, um, Gunwoo is going to remind her that she's not a monster, she's not a villain, that she's actually still a human being. She has still capable of having compassion and not just using people for the money or using money to manipulate people. Um, and that she's not capable of of hurting innocent people. So, um, which is fine. It's like, you know, I was like, okay, I'm midway through. I was like, I guess that's what they're going for. I'm going to be on board and I'm I'm going to follow through and watching it. Um, but the, the, the bad part about this drama is that their motives are very unclear or either that or... The characters are very poorly written. Like, Jingyu Midway, the character, Gunwoo, uh, at first, he's, like, very unwilling to bend into the um, machinations and the manipulation and the, all the wrong things that they do to to further their agenda and get richer and richer um, as corporations and stuff. Um Midway, he decides that he's gonna be okay with doing all these questionable things just so he can stop Yikyung. Which, at that point, it was like a little bit past Midway the drama or somewhere in the middle and I was just like confused because um, it didn't, it wasn't written as, it didn't seem like it was written as a character development. Um... Like, it doesn't make sense that, oh, I'm going to turn evil. I'm going to turn, I'm going to make all these questionable decisions um, just so I can stop you. Um, I don't know if the writers, um, like I said in the beginning, I have a lot of questions while, not just through this podcast, but while I was watching this Korean drama. It may be because I binge watch it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, his character like, just does like this 360 and becomes like also a vicious character that's just doing all this dubious dealings just so they get all this money. Which I was like, okay, yeah, all right. I thought you were supposed to be like more. Sorry, I'll have a little bit of a cold. Um, I thought that, oh, I thought you were supposed to be like the moral compass compass moral compass of this story but he didn't turn out that way so it was very weird and then um i'm gonna mention yui i think that's how you pronounce her name yui um she is uh she plays lee sejin who uh like i said in the description a little bit ago she's um comes from a poor family um 
Anyway, background on her. She used to be a K-pop idol. She was in a group called After School. Um, her previous Korean dramas that I know of, um, like uh, Joan Wuchi. Um, she's been a bunch of Korean dramas, actually. Anyway, so her character is, in the beginning, is introduced at this as kind of like, because she's poor, she's doing all of these gigs. Like, she works in a convenience store, she works like a parking attendant, and then she's also sort of sometimes like a con woman. Um, if you've heard in my past uh, podcast episode in episode three, I talk about Leverage. And that they're in, in the original American adaptation of Leverage, there's a character called named Sophie. And she's supposed to be the the con woman drifter character. Um, so at first, Lee Sejin, uh, Sejin Yu's character was introduced as like, a, sort of like that, like a grifter. Did I say drifter earlier? Anyway, a grifter. <laughs> um, and the first scene when they, her and Yi Kyung meet. And then there's this weird like vibe between them that I don't know if there's supposed to be like an attraction between them. Which, if they had kind of explored that better, would actually be an interesting twist to the story. Um, and then it turns out that uh, Sejin, because she saw that Yi Kyung is this strong, powerful woman, wants to be like her. There's a lot of like go back in between back and forth in this drama about like Sejin wanting to be a mirror to Yi Kyung. Which, like I said, um, I was like, all right, I'm on board with this story. Let's see how it goes. Um, and then uh, Yi King says something about like, oh, you're, uh, Sejin, you're going to be the universal key that's going to open all the doors for me to reach the top, like my goal. Um, so that's how their relationship begins and how the whole um, story begins, really. Um, and you see that... Um, Sejin is actually pretty skilled. She she thinks her way out of like dicey situations quite well, like in the first half. But then again, the characterization, it's not character development. They just shift like 360 right in the middle. And she becomes this character who she says, like the character, um, Sejin says that um, I'm gonna fight you because I want to save you. A little bit different from Jingu's character. Um because he's just I for me, I feel like he just wanted to stop her um by becoming vicious and like manipulative himself. But then Sejin is like I'm doing this to save your soul pretty much. So I don't know if I don't know the the whole characterizations in this drama is very fickle. Like you're you're watching it and right like towards the middle, you're just like like I said, everybody does like a whole 360 and you're like, wait, 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 wait. This was not the this was not the traits of this person that I, I knew from the first half of the drama. And it's not like it, they improve to be the worst or they improve to be better. And in that way it would be a character development. Um but it's more like, um, I should say, the motivations suddenly shift. And you're just left as a viewer not knowing what the hell is going on. Like, I, for the last few episodes towards the end, I was just like, 
why is Sejin doing this? Like, why is she working so hard to go against Yi Kyung, knowing that she is pretty much less experienced, less knowledgeable at the game, uh, whatever chess game that Yi Kyung is playing to be the top, to reach the top. Um, and she, for me, kind of started having this image of just like this, just this fly flying around that you just want to swat. <laughs> because her character just becomes really annoyingly stupid. Like, they they introduce her as a very smart character, but then she just becomes, she just makes stupid decisions that, I mean, Yiking is like, seen, like, just throughout the series or even towards the end, she's just very smart and just like thinks her way and calculates like a different move just to get herself back on track. Um, yeah, like I was just thrown off. Um, like I said, the motives um, are not very clear. The characterizations in the drama is very fickle. Like you just, like, you just kind of question yourself. Like how I'm doing right now in this podcast. Like what, what the hell happened? Like I've been watching this Korean drama. I've been on board with the plot. Alright, I'm trying to root for these characters. And suddenly, they're just like, what the? And it's like, that point in Korean dramas, they're just like, what? Like, I just spent like 10 episodes, like, you know, getting to know these characters and investing in these characters' individual traits and personalities and motivations. And suddenly, that's just completely thrown out of the window. And I'm just left kind of like, huh? What? What? And then this goes on for like a good, like, I want to say three or four episodes after Midway. So by the time you reach episode like 15 or something, did I say it was a 20 episode series? I think it was, maybe it's not 20 episodes. I think maybe it's 16. Anyways, towards the end, I'm just kind of like, what the hell is happening? I don't even know anymore. Um, Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> enough talk about that. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, the drama itself feels more like... It doesn't feel like it was a drama in 2016. Um, if you're like me and you've watched a few Korean dramas throughout the years, you kind of know that each each time in Korean dramas, there's like certain, certain themes that they kind of focus on in Korean dramas and like the trends of what the stories are in Korean dramas. Like, you know, there was like a whole year that everybody was doing dramas that was like cross-dressing, like gender-bending dramas. Um, there's like a whole year that was all like political dramas or there was like a whole year that it's like mostly rom-coms or... Um, a whole year that all of the hits were like Seguks and stuff, um, like historical dramas. So, um, in general, Korean entertainment, Korean dramas kind of go through these cycle of like themes of you know the trends of what they want to show, um, the story wise in Korean dramas. But what I was saying is that, um, I was gonna say that the plot is a little bit makjang, like that convoluted like revenge versus revenge plot. But it's not necessarily a makjang because this is set in like a corporate world, and makjangs are usually like a family like um melodrama that's very heavy on the dramatics and people are like slapping each other with like kimchi. I, 
I don't even even recall what Korean drama that was, but there's there was a Korean drama where literally like this woman slapped another woman with like like a whole bunch of kimchi. Um, so that's like makjung to me. It's like more of like a family like between friends, but this is set in like a corporate business political um setting. So it's sort of makjung in that setting. Um, but it doesn't seem like um, a Korean drama that was produced and aired in 2016. To me, it feels more like a drama that was shown early 2000s, like I would say 2007, 2008, or at least a good freaking 10 years before it was uh, this actually was shown on air. Um, because the plot is all over the place, which with no clear goal at all. Like, um, you kind of see all their motivations in the beginning. And like I said, the motivations just does like a whole 360 towards the middle. And you're just left as a viewer with like, what, what happened? Um, I don't think I can say that even more and enough on this podcast, but that really frustrated me as a viewer because I was, I was kind of expecting something better from a drama that was shown in 2016. Sadly enough, um, this Korean drama, like I said, was in the same year as Descendants of the Sun. So, um, Descendants of the Sun was really like booming across Asia worldwide. It was a very well-known kind of, um, huge Korean drama. So, um, like this one, I think they didn't do very well, uh, but it still got acquired by Netflix, um, and in that respect, it kind of kind of got a bit of um, popularity. Um, anyways, that that was my view. Um, it didn't feel like it was it was a drama that was actually written and produced in two thousand sixteen. Very a lot of it uh, is very reminiscent of early Korean dramas when, um much of Korean dramas haven't been popular yet worldwide or outside of Korea and that their stories are, you know, not very well crafted, not very well written. The characterizations were not like, you know, didn't make sense. And um, the themes weren't innovative or interesting enough. So that that's how I felt about it. I mean, I love certain Korean dramas from early 2000s, trust me. Like those were still one of my favorite, a lot of them are still my favorite Korean dramas, uh, like My Girl, um, just because of, you know, they're cringy now, but at the time it's like, you know, very, um, it was new for its time. But then this was made in 2016 and a lot of what they, uh, the scenes, the way the situations are, are very early 2000. You're just like, all right, that's been done a lot before. Like, show me something new. And I think they tried, but they miserably failed, which is sad because I I had high hopes for this Korean drama, but it kind of really disappointed me, especially the ending, which was... Okay, I'm going to talk about it later. Um, The music in the background is this weird jazz elevator music, um, which doesn't quite feel like it fits with the plot. Like, it would be so serious, and then it would just suddenly have it in the background. Like, this weird, like, elevator jazz music, like I said. And I was just like, eh, is it supposed to be, like, a sexy, sensual, like, background music? But 
she's talking to like an old Ajushi that's like hungry f- for more power and just conniving. So I was like, uh, is that supposed to signal that she's winning? Like, I don't know. It's very, I was like, um, whoever did the music and the OSC for this like drama, I don't know. Just, <laughs> okay. I'm I'm not too sure what, what they, they meant by that. Um, the the highlight though of this Korean drama is that the supporting characters actually save the story. Um, in a good Korean drama, you'll have the standard supporting um, characters, but um, oftentimes they're going to be played with they're going to be played by the very more well known character actors in Korea. Um, and they kind of give a bit of a substance to the plot, but not obstructing and like, you know, being an obstacle to how the plot is moving forward. They're just helping it along, being there, you know, um, some might have like a side story, but it's not it's not deviating us from the focus of the story, which would be like the main couple or the main like plot line pretty much. But in this story, I was just like, man, thank God for these supporting characters because they saved it um, because the whole drama at a point was just very dragging i was just like yeah i'm binge watching this but i'm gonna like fast forward a whole bunch because i'm just like i don't even get it anymore um i especially love jung jung hayen um he was most recently in one spring night when han ji min that's also available on netflix i'm probably gonna binge watch it one of these days because I just love him as Tak. Um, he is the the muscle and the brawn of Yi Kyung's little group. Uh, he's like a retrieval specialist. Like um, he he pretty much is like the all around guy. Uh, although it's a very small supporting role, he really tried his best. Like um, there was a whole part in this Korean drama um, that he has this banter with uh Yui's character Sejin and then even before they started bantering I was like he's gonna end up liking Sejin and Sejin's not gonna end up liking him and it was just the way he portrayed it in his acting his eyes would light up very so slightly betraying his whole characterization of like like this by the protocol um you know tough guy so I was like I'm definitely going to watch you now in um, One Spring Night because um, you're a very good actor. So this is one of his roles that he was still um, pretty much like a, a newish actor, I believe. He just, I think he only had like a couple of dramas under his belt when this showed. Um, so he he is a delight throughout this series. I was just like, yes, thank you, Jesus, that you're in this Korean drama. Um, another uh, actor uh, is Shin Yi Young, who is um, almost always like a character. She's she's a character actress. She was almost always a supporting um, actress in dramas. She I I remember her from Five Enough, which is this like behemoth like fifty episode daily drama that I watched, which was. A feat because I usually don't watch any Korean dramas that are more than 20 episodes because they just emotionally exhaust me. But it was this Korean drama that was very cute, very family oriented, had enough drama, had enough comedy, had enough feel good feels that you're just like, 
yeah, sure. I'm going to watch all 50 episodes of this. So she's one of the um, actresses in that Korean drama. Um, she's like a secondary lead-ish. One of the secondary couples. Um, so I was like, yeah, this is... She did really well, too. I enjoyed her character because she was... She played the hacker character, um, Mrs. Kim, who is pretty much essentially like the mother figure of the group. Um, so she was very endearing when you're watching her. Um, she's also currently on Love Alarm. I talked about that in my pa- past um, podcast episode. So uh, she also has a very good, like, very small part there. But she plays... Um, Jung Garam's characters, uh, so Hae Young is the character's name. Hae Young's uh, mom. So um, yeah, she's she's a very good character actress. So I I enjoyed that. She also saved the the drama. Um, like I said, uh, the ending was just ugh. it pretty much invalidated the whole series. Spoiler alert, just in case you were actually you know thinking of watching this drama. So, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, In the end, in the last episode, after all of this freaking, like, machinations and, like, twists and turns and planning and whatever. So, pretty much, she just drops everything and just, like, decides to go back to Japan. She decides to just stop of whatever is going on in Korea and just goes back to Japan. And I'm just like, what the... I'm like, you're supposed to be this like very driven lady. And then you have these dreams of breaking the ceiling, sitting on the top and ruling the entire like business, political, like, you know, arena in Korea. And then suddenly she's like, I'm, I'm just going to pack up, stop and fly back to Korea. Um, I mean, to Japan. And I'm just like, what the heck, man? Like, um, you can you can like gauge from how how i'm describing the this drama that um for one thing if you are gonna watch this korean drama maybe don't binge watch it and just watch like an episode or two like uh, a day or two in between and then you wouldn't get so frustrated as i was probably (laughs) because in the end you're just like what i just wasted like two days of my life watching this korean drama binge watching it and then it's like a really shitty ending um and i'm normally not one of those korean uh korean drama watchers viewers that are like would get frustrated at like a non-satisfying ending but because it dragged on forever and ever and ever uh, mostly from the middle and then you're given an ending like that i'm just like what the it's like, come on, man. Come on. Um, I have had my fair share of Korean dramas that had really shitty endings. And I don't, com- I, have, I haven't complained about them. Just because, I mean, it kind of served the plot. So, but this one was just like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> so anyways, that was um, all about White Knights. Um, hopefully... If you do watch it, don't let me discourage you. Hey, maybe this is your type of Korean drama and you end up loving it. And, you know, these are just my viewpoints in watching this Korean drama. Um, I'm going to pause a little bit and come back and talk about a couple other things about Korean dramas. So I will be back. 
all right we're back i'm gonna talk about um after that very long section on white nights <laughs> um i promise though i didn't really like just hate it throughout i'm just frustrated about it um anyways moving on to other korean dramas that i want to talk about a little bit of update on rookie historian gu heirong so um so far i've watched i'm behind like a couple episodes or an, an episode on this drama um so their relationship um Heirong and Dolan's relationship is slowly being discovered by the people around them um and that does not bode well in a korean drama that's a historical drama especially something that's going um going on in a royal court like that's not a good thing the more people know the more in jeopardy your relationship is so we get treated to a lot of like cute romantic scenes not enough in my opinion but what you gotta do there's a lot of political stuff um going on so they have a lot to unpack and finish a lot of plot threads that they need to finish before the end of the series which i think they have um i think they have like five or six more episodes left um i'm questioning will, will the secret about the ones like past parentage will it be revealed because i have a lot of suspicions on his parentage and this is just mostly because i've watched a lot of historical dramas and this is what usually happens in historical dramas um another question i have is that um i know they have a really good relationship but will the crown prince and prince prince duon duon eventually be rivals and will they eventually be fighting each other because of certain revelations in duon's parentage who knows I don't know if their relationship is going to remain that like brotherly love. Um, who knows? Um, <laughs> um, on the last episode that I watched, um, they're arranging for uh, marriage for Doan, which is pretty much you can tell that's what's going to be the huge obstacle might end the whole relationship between Heirong and Doan. Uh, because as with any historical drama, especially one that involves princes and like royal members of the family, your um, marriages are not by choice or out of love. It is a political move, political strategy to put certain people on your side. So it's usually like an influential politician minister's daughter. Um, gets married off into the royal families for clout. So I have, I do not have any high hopes that <laughs> Doan is not gonna get married off to somebody influential. Um, on Twitter, I was seeing people talking about like, um, they think that Doan is gonna get married off to Sahui, which is who is one of like the other historians, but her dad is very influential merchant minister, um, and she's like a high noble woman as well. So um, there was a lot of talk about that on Twitter that maybe he's gonna get married off to Sahui. Um, I'm hoping not because she seems to be like. Um, even though her, she's kind of dubious whether she's um, being moral or um, being um, in league with the corrupt officials. But anyway, she seems to be like a, a woman that's modern and doesn't want to be married off to a prince just because of political strategy. 
but who knows? Maybe that's part of her plan. Um, <laughs> um, I kind of stopped watching. That's why I'm behind an episode because I. This is at the point of Korean dramas that, um, especially one that's based. There's the main plot line. The main core of the drama is this romantic relationship between the female and the male leads. This is about the time that there is a huge heartbreak, that this the drama will choose to like reach into your chest, snatch your heart out, and just like crush it mercilessly because they're gonna go through some horrible thing that's gonna cause like their breakup, or something horrible to happen, um that's just gonna ca- drive them apart. Um, this is that point in this Korean drama right now, so I I I'm kind of bracing myself, and I I purposely stopped watching, um, and left like an uh, an episode, and be an episode behind, and I'm probably just gonna wait until there's a few more episodes or it has completely stopped, um, uh, finished airing, um, just so, mainly, for me as a viewer, I do that because. I want to see this the episode that there is that precipitating event that causes them to, um, that breaks them apart. But I have no patience in being wallowing in this heartbreak, this sadness. Um, so I I want to be able to like see the next few episodes, in hopes that they will get back together and they're gonna resolve this and live happily ever after. Although with this Korean drama, I don't know. It's fifty fifty. Um, I kind of want to say that they are gonna end up happily ever after, but just based on their characters, I mean, Doan Prince Doan is very sweet, very caring. He's very willing to um give up his status as a prince, um, of Joseon of Korea, um, just to be with Herong. But I think. Herong might not agree to that because she seems to be more of a modern woman. She wants to have her own choices. She wants to achieve a lot as a historian. Um, so I don't think she's gonna wanna be tied down. Um, I don't think she would oppose to marrying Doan if he sacrifices everything, but I don't think she's gonna be happy because she's she. Feel, I feel like she's not one of those characters that wants to be married. Even if it's out of love, even if she she deeply loves the other person, um, so it's still a fifty fifty. They might end it kind of cutesy and just like uh, happily ever after, or they're gonna do a switch and bait on us and just be like, "I'm gonna give you this nice montage of them in the countryside, you know, um, living their life." They're happily married. They have little cute little kids. You know, Doan has like let go of his position and title as a prince, and then just end up with be like, oh, they never saw each other again or something. <laughs> Which they can do that. They can do that quick, like awful type of ending that they do like a bait and switch and just like they make you feel good and then pull the rug underneath you and be like, ha, we were just joking. It's actually a sad horrible melodramatic ending but we just wanted to make you feel good for like two seconds in the end of like the last episode episode 20 or episode 16 um and just do that so 
or they do like a whole dream sequence or they do like a flash forward whatever so there's a lot like i said still 50 50 on how this is gonna end and i'm gonna wait until there's a lot more episodes for me to watch before i'm gonna go through like the dreaded episode 12 episode 13 three-fourths of the way um staple in korean dramas where there is a huge heartbreak um other drama that i'm gonna um talk about today is melting me softly so um this is starring ji chung wook who you might know from empress key he was in healer he's quite well known for roles that are like very action driven i first watched him and loved him so much with from the bottom of my heart in suspicious partner he was just so charming full of charisma in that like korean drama um this is his first post-military service project um so he just got discharged from his mandatory two-year almost two-year um service so this is the first project he's doing which i'm like I'm deep. I'm ridiculously excited for this. As much as I'm excited about Leverage, the Korean drama adaptation that I talked about in episode three, I am also very ridiculously excited about this Korean drama because Ji Chang Wook is known to have like to pick good roles. He's kind of like, um, funnily enough, <laughs> when I was on vacation, I stayed with family, and my brother and my sister in law are also avid korean drama you know watchers like they probably watch more korean dramas than i have because I'm, I'm I'm a bit picky about korean dramas that i actually start and watch and finish so they they're more of a casual is that a millennial thing to say oh they're so casual or they're a casual anyway they they're more they're more of those like drama watchers that just casually like oh i like i want to watch this and then i'll watch it um and I'm more of a, a very picky Korean drama watcher, I guess. Um, so funnily enough, when we when I was in vacation, I was staying with them. Um, we were talking about different Korean dramas and different actors and actresses that we enjoy watching. Um, my brother, he is a huge fa- fan of uh, huge fat, huge fan of Park Min Young, who is in um, her private life recently. She was also in. She was also in What Happened to Secretary Kim. Um, she he he has he told me this thing while we were talking about it randomly after dinner. Um, he was like, "When I see it's Park Min Young as the female lead, I watch it." And he's like, "Because I know that it's gonna be a good Korean drama because she never like picks a bad Korean drama," which I kind of rebutted for a little bit um, during that conversation and named dropped like a few of her earlier works that were not very good <laughs> but um it's true though recently i feel like park min young has been known as that actress korean drama actress that consistently picks um gets paired with good um male leads and also consistently picks good roles that are meaty interesting roles for her to do so i feel like ji chang wook is like that Funnily enough, they are, they were the female and male lead and healer. So, um, I have yet to watch that, but I'm, I'm gonna watch it. I'm kind of a bit of a, I, I'm in a bit of a like a, 
I'll watch newer airing dramas and then I'll watch like older dramas just in the middle just to spice things up and keep things interesting in my viewing experience. Um, but I feel like Ji Chang Wook is is one of those. Like he consistently, at least lately, um, more like right before he enlisted in the arm, uh, the military, that he consistently picks roles that are like good roles, like good for his career, um, popular, becomes a hit, good grading, um, good plot. So I'm I'm very excited about this melting me softly. Um, a little bit that I know about this Korean drama, it's about a man who was cryogenically frozen as part of an experiment but got awoken 20 years later instead of 24 hours um i i am looking forward to how this character deals with the change in technology the change of way of life in seoul in korea um the his relationships like how that's gonna differ like most people he knows is already like 20 years older um, it's very uh, similar to Korean drama called Hit the Top starring Yoon Shi Yoon. One of also my favorite, favorite um, K-drama actors. Sorry, that was me plugging in my iPad where I have my notes. Um, <laughs> so like I said, um, very similar to that Korean drama. Um, Yoon Shi Yoon is one of my favorite, favorite um, actors too. He's a very good actor. He also chooses good roles um, with good writing. So um, this is going to be airing at the end of September, I believe. I don't know yet where it's going to air internationally, worldwide, um, because I'm, I don't know if it's been picked up yet. Um, hopefully, either by Netflix or um, Vicky. I haven't looked into it, but I'm I'm sure it's gonna get picked up because it's it's a high profile type of drama with Ji Chang Wook on board. Um, but it's produced by Studio Dragon. So I don't know if you're familiar with Studio Dragon, but they're they're the produ production company behind like huge productions like um Memories of Alhambra, Abyss, which was is, is on Netflix. Um, the Crown Clown with Yeo Jingu, which um I have yet to watch. I wanna watch it. It seems like it's a very interesting um, historical drama. They're also behind um, Love Alarm, which um, is on Netflix also. Uh, Touch Your Heart, which is a Korean drama that I love with Lee Dong-wook and Yoo Ina. Um, they, they are just behind a lot of like, not only uh, the major broadcasting stations dramas, but also cable dramas for like... Um, from for OCN or for TVN, those are like more of the cable dramas. Most of the the cable dramas are more risque. the The plot lines are more bolder. The production is a little bit more um, well thought out, more finesse. When compared to the broadcasting station dramas, which they're great, but a lot of their story um, storylines are more gen like not generic, but just more general and more appealing to the masses. Um, because it's readily watched by everybody in Korea. Um, and usually cable dramas, it's kind of hard to find them unless they get picked up by Netflix or by Viki um, because they kind of are more uh, niche type of stories. Um, either they're just like 
more heavier mature dramas or just the plot line is a little bit more different from the norm um but they're usually very good dramas so i'm i'm i feel sad when they don't get picked up and shown with subtitles internationally so i'm hoping because it's by studio dragon and they have this long history of their productions being picked up by netflix that melting me softly hopefully it's gonna get picked up by um by netflix with subtitles so um super super excited about ji chang wook i i love 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 this actor if i haven't mentioned that quite enough um i'm still Anybody who knows where to watch Empress Key with, um, with English subtitles, please, please message me on, um, on Twitter. Leave me, you know, tweet me back or something, or I'll leave me a message because I dearly want to watch that Korean drama, but just haven't found like a site that has like English subtitles. Um, and as much as I'm a long, long avid watcher of korean dramas i don't know enough korean especially more like joseon language like that old historical drama language uh or um the older version of hangul like i know i don't know enough to be able to understand it <laughs> so i really want to watch it with like english subtitles so i can actually understand what's going on um So yeah, that's all I have for Korean dramas. I'm gonna be back with. We're gonna talk about K-pop. We're gonna talk about. We're gonna, gonna talk about good songs. Okay.
Okay, hey, we're back, and this is the K-pop section of my podcast, Peach Neon Pink Podcast, Episode Four. Um, we're back. We're gonna talk about K-pop and all things K-pop, I guess. Um, if you are listening to this on Anchor, you're gonna hear um, the song that I'm just gonna talk about. Uh, you're gonna hear the song that I am about to talk about. Um, if you're listening on Anchor, if not, eh, because of copyright reasons, it's not going to be on the podcast. But you're going to hear a generic music section sometime over there. Um, <laughs> anyways, I am going to talk about Monster X and their song, Who Do You Love? Um, one of their newer songs, they are a seven-member boy band from Starship Entertainment. They were formed through a reality TV show called No Mercy, but way back in 2015. Um, I am going to admit, this is one of the first songs that I've heard from this group. And I've only really like listened to probably two or three of their songs. Um, mainly because I have a co-worker, um, this girl at work, who really, really loves uh, Monster X gone to all their concerts has their merch their albums and everything and for how i'm familiar with them is that they are very good friends with got seven which is a k-pop boy group that i love to the death um so they are very good friends um i think specifically juhyun is very good friends with jackson from got seven and I believe their leader, the leader of Monster X, Shonu, um, used to train with JYP. Uh, so he's, he is still good friends with JB, with Mark, uh, Jin Young, because they all trained at about the same time um, before they debuted. So um, they, this two, the two groups are, are friends with each other within the K-pop industry. So that's how I know them. Um, who do you love is featuring French Montana. Not too familiar about this rapper, uh, American rapper, but it was fine. Um, <laughs> the song is very smooth. Um, it has a very feel a feel of it that's very cool. This very refreshing sound. Um, smooth and it's just like grooves like that when you listen to it. Um, very very summer. It's like a summer song a lot of beats that are very summer even though it's talking about something something that's kind of sad because it's like i think the whole from what i gathered from listening uh, to the song is that the whole um lyrics is about um a guy asking a girl like who do you love let me know it's this is really killing me just tell me if you like me do you love me kind of thing so uh it's kind of like a sad kind of <laughs> lyric but the way the sound is is very like summery you can't help but like just dance to it very very catchy very reminiscent of like 90s boy band pop um kind of reminds me of a song that probably like in sync would do um back in the 90s um so it kind of has that feel to it but a little bit more um new modern like you know uh, slightly millennial sound I want to say um, the English lyrics are very well peppered throughout the song um, 
I gotta compliment Monster X because they're really up and coming and they're they're making their way through the international audience. They're getting much, much more popular. Um they're breaking into the North American um American music scene and um kudos to them because they actually one of their members i believe lived in boston for a while their youngest is it is he their youngest i am i'm not sure but i think he is the magne um but he he lived in boston i believe or somewhere in the east coast for a while so he speaks pretty fluent english um i know juhon um speaks english pretty pretty okay um mainly because he has family and friends in texas i believe and most of them have passable english so um for me i appreciate it not whining as a international english-speaking k-pop fan but it's it's good it's a good feeling that you know when you the k-pop groups actually take the time and effort to learn some english because knowing that they're trying to break into the international market especially in this third generation of um k-pop groups that you know really want to make it big internationally or worldwide and knowing that their members make an effort to speak in english or learn english or have a little bit of fluency in english just for their fans um i i really appreciate that that's that's pretty cool to me um So I really love this song. Who do you love? It's like I said, very catchy. It's a good song to listen to. Um, this was one of the songs that I downloaded on my Spotify playlist to listen to on the on the flight when I was on vacation. So it was like a good kind of like you, you, I I kept unconsciously um, like bopping my head throughout the flight, and I was just like, yeah, it's a it's a song. It's one of those songs. Um, <laughs> next song I want to talk about is Chungha's Snapping. So Chungha, she is a solo um, female singer in Korea. She auditioned for YG Entertainment. She was a trainee for JYP Entertainment before representing her current agency, M&H, in Produce 101. If you are not familiar, Produce 101, like No Mercy, is... One of those reality TV shows they're supposed to produce like a K-pop group. And usually in Produce 101 or the other seasons of Produce 101, there's I think like four uh, four seasons now. Um, I think so. Because X1 I think just or is about to debut and that's from the latest season. Um, they're more of like a project group and after a year of promoting or a year or two of promoting, they disband and they go back to their respective agency. So they either debut as a part of another girl group or as a soloist. So what happened with Chung Ha is that she finished fourth place. She debuted as part of um, that season's project group, which is the group's name is IOI. They have a lot of catchy songs. Um, and then when that finished her promotions with the project group she debuted as a solo artist and since then she's been just churning out all these like amazing songs um i regretted that i didn't i i did i didn't <laughs> hear her live in kcon uh kcon's la sunday concert because she ended up not um being able to participate in the concert because of some reasons i don't know what but uh <laughs> i think because of visa reasons 
something like that um so she was part of the lineup for kcon la's sunday concert um but she wasn't able to go so i i really regret it because i will the main reason why i chose the sunday concert i've talked about it before is that there was a lot of the groups or the soloists in the lineup that i really was interested or i loved already that um kind of like mama moo and flying stray kids 17 um that i i already like listened to so that's why i chose the sunday concert um i this girl your girl just doesn't want to spend all that money on two concerts. So <laughs> I picked like the Sunday one instead of the Saturday one. Who The lineup are a little bit newer and I didn't know that that much. But it ended up that Chung Ha wasn't able to perform on that concert. And I was looking forward to listening to Snapping live. Because this is one of those songs that it's a dance song. You're just like, yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying this beat. It's very, very like catchy dance music it is girl power to the max type of song but she is like belting out the notes in sections like 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 a boss lady like she's just like going at it and it's easy listening it's good for listening when you're like out on a run because it has like a very repetitive chorus so you're just like going snapping 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 and you're just like well man i'm just like getting into this run because this song is just motivating me to like run forward and just like not be out of breath like i'm usually am <laughs> but i really recommend this song uh by chung ha she is up there proving herself as one of like they're they're in in k-pop there's a lot of soloists but there's not a lot of focus on them the focus is usually on boy groups and girl groups or in groups in general even the mixed groups um and soloists are not really that well known especially female soloists i don't think um there's been a really really big uh k-pop female soloist aside from boa um more or Hyori, more recently like Ailee, I think. Um, uh, I think the more newer ones like Sunmi from she used to be in Wonder Girls, but now she's a soloist. So uh, Chunghae is um, is up there with like getting there to being one of the top soloists in the game. So um, take a listen to her song "Snapping." Um, if you are on Anchor, uh, if you're listening to this podcast on Anchor, it's gonna play after this section. Um, if not, it's going to transition to um, the K-beauty section of this podcast. So listen on, okay? So we're going to talk about Korean beauty in this section. So usually the third part of my podcast is on K-beauty. So that's what we're going to talk about now after talking about Korean dramas and K-pop. Um, in the first half of uh, first half, first three fourths of this uh, podcast. Anyways, I'm going to talk about three different products. I'm going to talk first about this product called the Green Tangerine Vita C Dark Spot Serum from Goodall. Goodall? Goodall? Goody? Goodall? Goodall. G-O-O-D-A-L is the um, 
the name. It is one of the um, brands that I um, was interested in. And then when I went to KCON a few weeks ago, they um, have a section on K-Beauty. And then I saw that they were selling this. So I bought like the combo pack that has um, the full size um, serum bottle, which I think is like 30 mLs, And then a smaller one that's like 10 mLs. That's like a travel size and a little travel size of the cream version of the, the green tangerine vitamin C. So um, I've been I use this all throughout um, my vacation. Um, it's very it smells very citrusy. It smells like uh, calamansi. If you know what calamansi is, it's like Filipino Philippine like lime. It's like this little green like um, well lime things like lemony things um, fruits that you put on food um make it to juice and stuff so it smells like that it doesn't necessarily to me smells like tangerines because tangerines have more of like a sweet citrusy um smell this one has a different citrusy smell it's more like tangy um so maybe that's what green tangerines smell like i'm not sure um it's very lightweight it has a gel like consistency um it comes in a pump bottle so very hygienic when you pump it out before you put it on your face you can actually get very accurate and put the exact amount of stuff that you want to put on your face um because it's a gel like consistency it's easily absorbed you when you put it on like you just really have to pat it on and it'll get absorbed in your skin very very easily very fast it and i mean it's not sticky at all it's lightweight uh like it spreads out thin and, when, and if you pat it on it actually feels fine like it it doesn't it doesn't feel sticky it's not like uh it doesn't leave like a plasticky f or film feeling on your skin which is which I appreciate because I'm like I'm not I'm I'm not going to go around with like a a film kind of feel on my face that's horrible um, so the Vita C Dark Spot Serum is supposed to help with a lot of discolorations or acne spots, um, left like redness, uneven skin tone. So that's usually what, um, like vitamin C or citrusy type of serums do. Um, like I said, I've been using this almost regularly, almost religiously during vacation because I brought that um travel size version of the kit the combo kit that i got and then when i came back i've been using it almost every day um on my day and my night uh routine um it's light enough that you can wear it under makeup um during your skincare routine during the day um and it doesn't feel heavy at night too if you're using it at night um I, um, sorry about that. That was a notification on my phone. <laughs> um, anyways, I been using, I've been using Innisfree Widening Pore Synergy Serum, um, before this and it's comparable. Uh, the Innisfree one is actually also citrusy. I think it's like Jeju Orange. So it's like more of a sweeter citrusy smell, but the Syner uh, Synergy, Synergy Serum from Innisfree, um, it mostly says it's like brightening, whitening, pore serum. Um, it's kind of like a serum and an ampule because it's slightly clear 
cloudy, milky consistency when you pump it out. Um, which is also, you know, in a pump, so it's hygienic. Um, that one, I've seen a lot of good results in brightening up my skin, but not necessarily taking care of the dark spots that I have from acne. Like, I'm very acne prone with oily combination skin. Um, and usually, um, on the good days, uh, I'll just be left with, like, acne scars. But on very bad days, it's, like, just, like, hormonal stick acne everywhere on my face like mostly on my chin so i I, trust me i don't look very good without makeup (laughs) it's more like the night of the living dead if i've already made that um joke before on this podcast (laughs) um but the innisfree synergy serum one um it does a good job of brightening especially um i have a lot of i also have a lot of like dark circles eye bags um that has in the past few months i've used it it has done a lot for that um the only thing i'm hoping for for the vita c dark spot serum is that it actually deals with acne scars and the spots they're left in so far it's been doing really well so i really recommend it um next thing i'm going to talk about is also something else that i use during vacation it's the misha m magic cushion in 27 honey beige it is a darker shade of cushion type compacts um the m magic cushion doesn't have as many shades as the innisfree um mad cushion ones that one has i think like 10 or 13 shades this one has I want to say four because I think it comes in 13, 21, 23, and this one in 27, I think. Don't quote me on that. I think they have, either has like four or five shades. Anyways, but I appreciate the fact that it does have a, a, a range because usually with Korean foundations or makeup, they only usually only come in like, either really pale beige or sort of like neutral beige and then if you're not anywhere close to that like skin tone it's gonna look very ghastly pale on you so i appreciate that they have this darker shade in number 27 it has a bit of a yellowish undertone so um when i've been using it it's a good buildable coverage. It covers imperfections with like a single application. Like you pat it on your face, like what you usually do with like a cushiony type compact. It comes in a very luxurious white and silver um, compact that has its own like uh, cushion applicator. That's that's very soft and feels good on the face when you're like just patting it on. Um, like I said, buildable coverage. Um, the, I think though that this shade, I might, I should have tried like a shade that's a little bit lighter, but it comes very yellow. It turns out it's like a little, like a tad bit darker than my, my face's skin, um, skin color, skin tone. So, um, it's, it's, it looks fine. (laughs) Um, but I usually put on a lighter like powder, um, to seal it off anyway, so it just evens out after a while. Um, the lasting power on this, it's like, 
it's slightly thick in consistency compared to other cushion type of um compacts that i've tried it leaves the skin very dewy like um I, like i said i have very oily combination skin so if i don't put like a finishing powder or something um like an oil control powder afterwards my face just looks super shiny because i um i can't really do like that whole dewy dewy look um just because the oil just goes whew, it just i just look like i have like butter on my face so usually um with every like foundation i usually put on like a finishing powder but this one just really leaves leaves my face very very dewy so um I usually put, um, during vacation, I was putting the Innisfree Pore Blur Pact. Uh, that's that I talked about in the last podcast. It's like peach tone finishing um, compact pressed powder. And when you when I put that on on top of this, um, it actually evens out everything. And it's not completely um, different from my skin tone. So it balances it out and then it actually looks very natural. So um, it is very similar to M Perfect Cover BB Cream. Um, this M, um, Mish is one of the first, first Korean beauty, um, actually Korean beauty brands that I've tried even from years ago. So um, their M Perfect Cover BB Cream is one of the very first BB creams that I ever tried. This was back like years back, probably four or five years back when they've, you know, K-Beauty was first starting to show up in like um, Sephora or like stores and stuff. And um, I remember buying, um, the ordering this online and they only had like two shades. Like I mentioned before, that's the usual shades for K-Beauty. They only had 21 and 23, uh, which are ghastly pale on me it's like if you're fair skin it, it will it will look fine um but i remember um being fascinated with the bb creams because they really try it really tries to kind of um blend into your own skin tone but because it's already so light it can only do so much so i remember my makeup style being a lot more paler um before a few years back <laughs> now that i'm very good with makeup i do not say that at all uh, i just got it a little bit better um so now it actually comes the imperfect cover bb cream actually comes in the shade range of 13 which i think is like super 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 pale um like fair beige to 31 which is so i think it goes 13 21 23 27 and 31 i think and 31 is it's darker it's i would say it's like a dark medium dark beige um anyways the m magic cushion in 27 um one thing I know about cushions is that if you buy it, um, they actually come out quite darker on the pan. 
um, compared to how it's going to look like on your, your skin. So when I bought the, the 27 Honey Beige, I was thinking, oh, it's going to come out lighter on my skin because it was very dark on my hand, which is exactly what it was. It was, it looks very, because usually cushiony type of compacts are very, uh, concentrated. Um, just so when you pat it on, it's like, there's a lot more coverage. So um, I recommend it though. It's the compact itself is very well built. It's weighty. It's not like the flimsy, like plasticky ones. Although it is made out of plastic, but it has a bit of a weight to it. And it doesn't look like some, you know, like child compact. <laughs> like some of them do. They're very cute. But if you're in my age range, if you're past your 30s, it doesn't really look cute to have a makeup compact that has like, like a cutesy character and character on it <laughs> anymore, pretty much. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend that to the, well, I recommend the ma a magic cushion, um, especially now that it has a, uh, a shade of, um, a shade range that's good. Um, also try out the, the M Perfect Cover BB Cream. It's their most well-known BB Cream. Um, solid standard BB Cream if you're looking for that. Um, last thing I'm going to talk about is the... You know I'm going to talk about Innisfree because I love that brand. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I always talk about an Innisfree product every podcast episode. But trust me, it's because I just love this brand. And it's like readily available to me. There's like more stores now in um, California. So you don't really have to order it online unless you really have to. Um, anyways, I recently have been trying on their Innis, the Innisfree Velvet Cover Foundation. The shade that I got it in is N32 which is either called like chestnut or something. There's a name, but it's N32. Um, it is lightweight. The, consist the consistency itself is thin. Um, the usual foundation that I use is this from, from this company called Il, Il Macchiaggi. Il, Il Macchiaggi. Il Macchiaggi. Uh, called Woke Up Like This uh, Foundation. So that one's a little bit uh, thicker in consistency. The Velvet Cover Foundation is very lightweight, is thin consistency, but it's like a more of a medium coverage. Um, if you build it up on areas like um, I have, like I said, I have a lot of acne scars. So if you build it up on those areas, it's not going to feel heavy at all. They have a very good shade range as with most Innisfree uh, foundations that have released internationally. Um, it comes, I believe, from, I think there's like 20 different shades. And this one, the N32, is kind of more of like towards the darker ones but the, it's it's actually a pretty good shade range for uh k beauty foundation um that was mainly my problem um when i went to korea last year in myeongdong because i was trying to buy more k beauty products but in especially in korea it's a little easier when you're buying it internationally or here in america they have more of a range of their international products. But in Korea, it's mostly 21 or 23. So I didn't end up, I don't think I ended up buying any foundations when I was there. Just because even 23 is pushing it. It looks very pale on me. Like I look like a ghost. Um, but I'm happy that they actually, when they released it internationally, that the Velvet Cover Foundation actually has like 
I think, 20 or a little bit less, maybe like 15, between 15 to 20 different shades uh, in their shade range. So, um, N32 is a very good match to me. Like, I I swatched it on my hand uh, when I was in the store trying it out. Uh, I really love the consistency. Like I said, thin consistency, buildable coverage, uh, although medium. Um, but the N32 was perfect. Like, it was like a perfect, uh, more... Like a slightly yellow, but more slightly yellow, slightly pink. So it's a more neutral um, beige. So it's sometimes it depends on the the season. I ta- I try I tend to range from I'm like usually an NC forty, NC forty if you know um, that's from Mac, uh, on Studio Fix. So um, that's usually my my foundation color. Um, most of the time. Um, I get I do get a little bit darker during the summer if I'm out in the sun all the time the the month or so, but N thirty two is a good medium. It's like very it it's a very good match. It's a very very good color match to my skin tone. When I swatched it on my, uh, the back of my hand, it was perfect. When I had put it on my face, it was perfect. So, um, I do tend to put a little bit of a little bit of concealer afterwards just to kind of like finish off um even though you build the coverage on areas to have like red spots or dark spots uh just to add a little bit of, of coverage but otherwise it does a very good um job of covering and evening evening out the skin tone so um as with any industry products they're very rare that i don't like an industry product um i definitely recommend it it's also looks very dewy not as much as the misha m magic cushion but it's kind of like slightly uh there's a slight shine to it so um like i said with any any foundation i just don't usually slap on liquid foundation on myself um i usually have to put like uh use a pressed powder or uh, finishing powder just to seal everything and even then i put setting spray because i by by like the seventh hour of having to make up on my face, it starts melting off and I, my face is very oily. So, um, and I'm usually quite lazy. Like I don't like touching up throughout the day, uh, which I should actually do, but I don't. Um, so this one is slightly less dewy look. Um, I think that's what they meant by velvet cover. Um, but a little bit less than the Misha cushion. So um, it's a lot less of padding of powder on the face. But I really recommend it. Check it out if you're ever at an Innisfree store or um, it's also available online. Hey, you've reached the end of this podcast, episode four. You have been listening to Peach Neon Pink Rambling. This is was is and was podcast episode number four. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Um, as always, let me know if you want me to talk about what you want me to talk about in terms of Korean dramas, K-pop, K-beauty. I am very welcome to suggestions. Um, definitely leave me a message at https 
forward slash forward slash anchor.fm forward slash peach neon pink the neon has to end forward slash message or tweet me at miss manderly on twitter um and let me know what you want me to talk about uh links are gonna be on the description for this podcast episode um again if i haven't said enough thank you so much for listening to the podcast i appreciate i know there's probably like just one or two of you listening to this podcast but i enjoy making them i am looking forward to making much more episodes i'm shooting for doing them uh, every week at least every monday so i'm hoping to be able to do it every monday i'm hoping so um i'm gonna update you guys on um other korean dramas that i'm gonna be watching or as currently i'm currently watching at this moment um more k-pop songs a lot more product reviews so look forward to that um you know just like and if you haven't watched other episodes, I have three episodes of so far of the full episodes, aside from this one. Um, and I also have uh in-between episode, uh, episode 2.5, that's also there. So take a listen, um, and I will definitely see you guys or talk to you guys next time. Uh, again, thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. See you again.